Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. That's why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. And each week we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and of course, where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. So on today's episode, episode 26, we sit down with Lou Main, who is the president of Diversified Business Associates. Uh, they're a consulting firm where Lou works with a lot of lighting and lighting controls companies, advising them on specific emerging technologies in this space, and even gets involved in mergers and acquisitions. And that's really the meat of our conversation, discussing trends in the industry and what he's seeing as a consultant. You'll, of course, want to stick around for the end of the show when Lou provides some sage words of wisdom for his 22-year-old self and what he wants his lasting legacy to be. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel. And if you're enjoying this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. We think you're really going to enjoy this episode with Lou. So let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Lou Main, who is the president of Diversified Business Associates. Lou, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. You know, as I was getting prepared for this uh, episode, I was reflecting back. It's hard to believe you and I first connected at Light Fair nearly 10 years ago. Yes, that's uh, absolutely correct. I know that we were working before that, but face-to-face the first time was about 10 years ago. That's that's right. It's hard to believe it's been that long. And uh, who would have thought we're sitting down to record a podcast together? Probably could have never I, predicted that one. N- never in a million years, Jim. <laughs> All right. Well, I know uh, you've been in the industry for a long time, so I think a lot of our listeners are probably going to recognize your name. But for our audience out there who don't know who you are, Lou, can you give us an idea of your background and kind of how you got started in the industry? Sure. Um, again, my name is Lou Main. I'm the uh, president of uh, Diversified Business Associates, uh, which is an LLC. Uh, basically, I do consulting work. Um, a little bit about me uh, and my my history. You know, really for the last 30 years, Jim, I've pretty much been involved in the controls uh, sector. And it kind of started off in the water and the wastewater industries, then into gas distribution and transmission. Um as I got into the, the latter years, it went into energy management, uh, then HVAC, and then lighting. So I really have to say that the last 15 years or so, the concentration has been in lighting and in uh, lighting controls. Got it. Got it. Okay. And I think when you and I first started talking, you were uh, you were at GE, and I know you had a good run there. So maybe if you could pick us up you know, your time there at GE and, and maybe a little bit about what you were focused on. I think when you and I were talking, you were really geared on like the um, the ESCO side of the business, if I remember correctly. So could you maybe fill us in there and then bring us up to uh, to present day and kind of how you landed in your new um, your new consulting business here? Sure. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, w- w- when I talk about my past, I, I talk sometimes a lot about the vertical markets that I've served sure. first off. And you know, if you go through history and, uh, you know, as we evolve through our through our careers, uh, mine kind of started off in the teaching, teaching in the uh, in the technical realm. From there, it went to marketing, to sales, to sales leadership, and eventually into executive leadership. Uh, you mentioned General Electric Company. I had uh, spent about sixteen years at GE, a great company. Um, had uh, been working, as you said, in the uh, ESCO market, which was we were putting together 
uh, a network of service providers that would uh, work with us as a company in providing lighting solutions to the many customers that we had out there. Um, upon leaving uh, General Electric Company, I took a job as a, um, a global vice president for a company called Flextronics out of California and uh, spent some time with them. And then uh, a little bit later on with uh, Osram. So Again, I think the real concentration for me has been over the last 15 years, which is the focus of lighting, uh, lighting controls. And a lot of my um, consulting today is still based in that area. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that, like some of the types of clients that you work with on the lighting control side. And then maybe we can touch on like where you see that segment of the industry heading. Because I, th- I think if we just reflect back on uh, the last couple of um, light fair conferences, right, that seems to be one of the themes, you know, lighting controls, advanced lighting controls and IOT. So, you know, where what are you seeing right now just from your vantage point as a consultant? Okay. Um, well, you know, the, the, the trends today are, are remarkable. And, and I'll even go back a step with, uh, with GE. We used to call it the, the lighting revolution uh, 10, 12 years ago. And that's even before we even knew the revolution was going to expound the way it did today. But the lighting revolution back then was simply limited still to incandescent and halogen and uh, uh, fluorescent. And a lot of these technologies, as you probably know, uh, you know, started off in the early 18, uh, excuse me, early 1900s, um, progressed into uh, fluorescent in probably the 1930s and 40s. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we probably went 80 to 90 years pretty much on the same type of technology. And then mm. bang, somewhere around uh, uh, a little over the year 2000, this LED thing came about. And with LED, we started to witness what what we refer to as a digitization of of lighting. So um, when we when we look at lighting, uh, the capabilities that were associated with lighting, some of the things that we all know we see every day, things like dimming and daylighting, uh, shades, it it all started to grow into a, a much more advanced algorithm, if you will, for lighting. It started to become more or less control. It started to become remote control. It started to become a lot more of analysis. It started to get into the uh, physiological and psychological aspects of lighting, like circadian rhythm. How, how does the light different t- times of the day right. uh, affect our attitudes and so forth? So um, as we start to take a look at a lot of that uh, evolution, um, we start to also examine you know, some of the things that have come as a result of it, uh, like software platforms and programs, things like control are still important, but analysis has, has really come to the forefront. Uh, analysis for energy, for, uh, for monitoring, for status. And even in today's um, realm, we, we look at a lot of it for, for maintenance. You know, I think a, a good example of that would be with, uh, with COVID. Okay. We, we're, we've all been kind of sent home and trying to do our jobs from afar, but there's still organizations out there that have to run. Um, these people do not go into work. They seem to want to manage their their operations from afar remotely. So these are all perfect examples of where lighting has evolved over the years. And then I, I think you've made one last mention um, on the IoT, which is the uh, the Internet of Things. Um, right. Tying all of that together, Jim, you know, we, we look at it either as building wide or uh, campus wide or even citywide, you know, we, we, we want a total smart solution to not just lighting, but things like uh, gunshot detection, information beacons, uh, directions. Um, that type of technology right now is really where we, we started off with the incandescent light bulb 
And we've kind of gotten way off on that other side of the spectrum. Yeah, I think just like any technology that's out there, there's that uh, that early adapter, early adopter community, right? Folks that want to bring this into their facilities right away. And, and anytime new technology comes out, it's, it's really great to talk about. Here's what the capabilities are. But there's also like the practicality, right? How pragmatic is some of this technology that's out there? So as you look at some of maybe the uh, the cutting edge type now technology, are you seeing this being implemented with some of your clients or are some of this stuff still hey, we still got a long tail on this before it becomes really mainstream. Well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I handle a, a couple of different sectors of the uh, the marketplace in, in my role right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with manufacturers who obviously want market intelligence to see what everybody else is doing. That's, uh, that's natural. Um, but I also work with a lot of uh, venture capitalists who are the the, the financial engines behind a lot of these uh, these new technologies. You know, is there mm. is it worth an investment? Is it worth a, a merger or an acquisition? Right. And we spend a lot of time uh, looking at that. But we also take a look at um, from from the end user's perspective, is is all of this really is it worth it? I mean, is there a financial payback? Is there a return on investment or uh, you know investment of of capital and so forth? So um, I see a lot of that. Uh, Mostly what I do today is a lot of market research. Um, I do a lot of consulting with where should a company go. And for the most part, since I kind of got involved in sales at an early uh, stage, I do a lot of uh, uh, taking some of these companies who are, and I hate to use the word clueless, hey, they just got into the technology, but they really don't know how to go to market with it. So there's aspects of this that I look at differently, and they're all they're fun for me to, to, to be involved in this. Yeah, no, you, you mentioned something interesting there on the, on the venture capital side of things. So are you helping put some of those deals together, like identifying some companies that maybe some of these VC firms want to invest in and acquire? Uh, yes, I've, I've actually um, helped out a number of venture capitalists, and some of them are small and some of them are large and some of them are very private. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, uh, there's a lot going on in the lighting world right now. Um, so venture capitalists are looking for the best best place to place their money. Uh, they read a lot. They see uh, you know technical publications, but a lot of them, I hate to say it, are are really clueless as to what's involved in you know becoming a lighting player in this day and age. I think thirty years ago it was a different conversation to have, but today it is it, the dyna- dynamics are are increasingly difficult to, uh, to to get into this market. The barriers to entry. Um, for the most part, are, are simple to get into, but to be able to scale and to be able to grow as a company, um, most companies now, the lot of the smaller ones, and there's a lot more smaller ones today than there were, let's say, 30 years ago, because of the investment of glass and you know all of the uh, inert materials that you need to make lighting of the of the olden days. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, it's hey, let's grow to a certain size, a million, two million, five million dollars, and hope that Amazon picks us up or somebody else picks us up and we make a fortune and we don't have to work again in our lives. So it's kind of changed in that direction as well. Yeah. Yeah. And without getting too far into the weeds on any specific financials or anything like that, are there any common themes or common threads that you're noticing that the venture capital firms are looking for in some of these lighting control companies? You know, first of all, it's, it's technology. Venture capitalists tend to look at the technology as, um, the thing that they're going to be able to sell to, you know, their their particular clients. So, if if something has a, a great buzz to it, I mean, they're going to be very very interested. And I get a lot of calls when there's a new term that comes out. Hey, what does this mean? Can you educate us on on this type of thing? Um, the other thing that venture capitalists 
uh, are usually involved with is how much money they are going to be able to make. And, and a lot of times there's a big there's a big distance between reality and what they think they're going to make. Uh, I can't really say that, hey, you, you, you can't make $10 billion of this. I wish you could. But for the most part, here's kind of the limitations of what you're going to see. And then the third part of it, which is uh, the time critical piece of it is you have to remember, you're almost dealing in produce now. You're dealing in fruit. Um, years ago, you used to buy lamps and bulbs and things like that and put them on a distributor shelf. And if you didn't sell them this month, you'd sell them next month or you'd keep them till the end of the year or what have you. Uh, inventory could have been slower, but it really didn't hurt you. Uh, today, the technology is advancing so rapidly that you can't afford to do that. You can't go out and buy a thousand lighting widgets and say, all right, you know, if I don't sell them this month, I'll sell them next month because next month, chances are it's been replaced with a new version of it. So that's an interesting dynamic that has crept into this particular mar- uh, lighting place. Wow. Wow. So it's moving, moving that quick, huh? Yes. No, that's, that's interesting. And last thing on the, the venture capital side, you know, at, well, I maybe just pertaining to lighting controls, advanced lighting controls and the evolution of IoT. What are you seeing from like a security standpoint? I feel like that's always part of the conversation, especially in this COVID era and contact tracing and gathering information. Like, I know there's so many more data points for access to some of these these lighting control systems. So I'd be curious just to hear your perspective on where the, the security side of thing comes into play just with uh, with IoT. When, when you look at uh, security, and security is actually broken down into a lot of different channels, but uh, starting off with the simplest uh, part of it is sometimes just being able to detect how many people are in a room. And it, it may not be a security function. Let's say there's a conference room and there's technology out there right now that can determine how many people are in the room and where they are. We don't really know who they are. You know, There's privacy issues and so forth. But sure. for the most part, we know that there's eight people in the room and now it's five people and now it's 10 people. And for for starters, that's a very important piece of the information because it helps control you know, the, the cooling fans, uh, the HVAC system, the lighting. So it's a great energy play for them. Um, when you start to take a look at security, um, there are blended systems right now that are working with, I would call them lighting control, but it's more into an IoT platform where we've got visual analysis of what's happening in an area. Um, I mentioned before things like gunshot uh, detection. That's all part of uh, the IoT play. So Again, security is uh, it, it has it really, really advanced, and the cost of security uh, in terms of like cameras, because right now you you got a doorbell that can see if the mailman's coming or if there's coming somebody's coming to rob your house. Um, the technology costs have come down considerably. You know, getting on the internet, uh, you're at a at a mall and you want to see what's happening in your backyard. It's it's commonplace in this in this day and age. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but uh, if not, just uh, um, you know, clarify for me. No, no, we're, we're good. Whatever your perspective is, you know, I just was curious to, cause that, that seems like anytime we start talking about gathering information, that security side is always coupled along with it, you know, to make sure that, well, you know, you hear about certain technology out there that, you know, you walk into target and you're shopping in a certain aisle and you get something sent to your phone that, Hey, here's a coupon for $2 off, whatever you're looking at. Right. It's like, how, how do they know they're I'm here? Uh, I know that's kind of like an exaggerated example, but hey, people hear that and like, where does the security side of things come into play when it comes to privacy? But you no, know, we can we can move on. I was just curious to get your uh, your perspective on it. That's all. Yeah, certainly. I mean, one one last point on that. There are and I've actually worked with a couple of accounts in the last year 
where that is exactly what's happening. You walk into a retail store, uh, you've got this app on your phone for that retailer, and you're spending a little bit of time in this particular aisle. Well, you know, in a matter of about a minute or so, you're going to get a message on there that's going to give you a couple of suggestions right. or it may give you a couple of alternatives as to, hey, if you're really looking for this, this is where you go. So, um, again, it's part of the privacy thing. Um, they don't know who you are, but um, people are concerned as to how much do they really know who I was. You know, was it me? Was it my neighbor? And, and that's going to be something um, that we're going to continue to see for years to come. Yes, yeah, might just be part of the the world that we're living in here. So uh, no, it's uh, it's interesting stuff there. So so Lou, the next part of the show here, I wanted to transition to the the same four questions that I ask every guest who comes on. Lou, what are your daily non-negotiables? That's a that's a very good question. I think uh, you know, for me, uh, exercise has always been one of my uh, my uh, main priorities, and it has been probably for the last thirty years. And when I say exercise, I don't mean a couple of days a week. Uh, I'm not, you know, uh, a, a super strong guy and, you know, there's a lot with, uh, you know, heavy weights and stuff like that, but I like to do something. It could be something as simple as uh, walking my dogs for 45 minutes in the morning or, you know, going to the gym and, and you know, getting a swim in and something like that. Uh, for me, it had almost been a uh, necessity that to, uh, to relieve the daily stress that I get my 45 minutes of, of cardio or some lightweight training in. So, uh, that would be the first thing. The second thing is, you know, as I uh, kind of went into consulting, I, I more or less went into a, a, a partial retirement type of thing, uh, enjoying the things that I do. I like to enjoy life more by doing a lot more different things rather than just say, hey, I used to like golf and that's all I'm going to live for, or, uh, you know, doing this or doing that. So it's the diversity of things that I look at that uh, are, are basically the non-negotiables in my life. And what advice would you give to your 22-year-old self? Okay, well, that's going back a few years, but uh, you know, I can almost remember those days as if it happened yesterday. Sadly, that's how quickly time uh, time marches on. But one of the things that um, I would talk to myself on if I were 22 again is don't be afraid to fail. Um, failure is a good lesson. I think sometimes, depending on family and cultures and peer pressures and so forth. You know, you can't fail. You got to study harder. You got to do this. You got to do that, which are all very good attributes. But for the most part, failure teaches you a good lesson. It allows you to get up off the ground, you know, brush off your knee, uh, brush off the dirt off your knee, um, get up, try something different, um, you know, get some suggestions and perspectives from other people. And, and in essence, it's building character. The, um, th the second piece of that might be, uh, Maintain a stronger uh, center of excellence. And what I mean by a stronger uh, center of excellence is a real strong circle of influence. I remember reading this years and years and years ago, Dale Carnegie, who I admired as an author, uh, public speaker, somebody that taught people how to talk and sell and so forth, um, basically said, look, you know, get this influence of people around you. But when he spoke about it, he spoke about it, this imaginary uh, influence. So you might think of Abraham Lincoln sitting in the same room as you or Ulysses Grant or George Patton or whoever you admire. And, and you would look at this and you'd, you'd kind of like, it sounds kind of strange, but hey, what would you have done in this situation? What would you have done in that situation? I always found that to be useful. I don't really do that. But where I'm going with this is that being more inclusive with people, having been 22 again and really found five or six people that would be my mentors and coaches probably would have put me in a slightly different position in life today. 
Because as you're young, you're influenced by a lot of different things. You are told good things. You're told bad things. You know, you hang around with the right people. You hang around with maybe perhaps not the right people. So, you know, these are all important things. And, and for me, I always had enthusiasm. That's kind of how I got involved in sales, to be honest with you. But sometimes that falls off the rails. You become misguided. And I just wish I had a little bit more of that guidance when I was, uh, when I was starting out. That's fabulous advice. And, and Lou, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, what gets me out of bed in the morning is the fact that, you know, the, the, the day itself is an opportunity to be able to do whatever you want. Um, I'm thankful uh, that I have good health, knock on wood. Uh, I'm thankful that, you know, I can still make decisions on my own. Um, you know, financially, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in good shape. But having flexibility in your life to be able to do what you want to do is a is a great motivator. Uh, and again, I think getting out of bed and, you know, not falling on your face or struggling to get out of bed is a, is a very important piece. And whether uh, you want to work hard that day or you want to play hard that day, um, you know, just enjoying embracing life, I think is a, is a big thing for me. And Lou, last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be? You know, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I, I had a dentist once that like, he always kept saying, you know, you got to have clean mind, clean body and clean soul. So I always, when I was younger said, hey, I got to have clean mind, clean body and soul. And then I realized as I got older, I said, well, okay, there's probably a couple of other things that, that are part of life. But um, one of the things that I look at is being able to set an example for others. Um, people will look at you, especially as you become successful in life and they will give you that, um, that, that level of, you know, hey, you did it, Lou. How did you do it? You know, uh, but a lot of times they won't really ask you. But by you setting an example for them, hey, Lou perhaps works hard or Lou, you know, seems to say the right things or Lou seems to, um, you know, do the right types of work and things like that. Um, there's no clear path for anybody. But I think setting the example is, is first. And then I think, um, you know, I look at my 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 past, you know, it's kind of like a lackluster past, you know, my parents were working, working parents, you know, they were not educated, uh, you know, we really didn't have a lot of things as, as kids and stuff like that. I think really paying for my own college, you know, working up the ladder, you know, doing whatever it was that I had to do. Uh, I think that that legacy is still important to this day is that don't expect people to do things for you. If they do things for you, that's great. But if they don't do things for you, then you should try to do them on your own. Learn from what others others have done that you admire. Talk to people, but don't wait for somebody to hand you something because chances are it's never going to be handed to you. So that's kind of what my legacy uh, would be. I think that's some sage advice. I think it's a perfect way to, to wrap up the show here. So Lou, thanks for coming on the Building Efficiency Podcast. It's been my pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, there you have it. Episode 26 with Lou Main. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing that I would ask here, if you have ideas for future guests from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you, loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.